straight into this week. I would normally do the little warning tweet of I'm going to go and do my video in five minutes or something thereabouts, but today, today no, because today I have a lot of stuff, a lot more stuff than usual. I think in part because I was a little bit, wasn't lazy last week, but it was a little bit casual. So last week, I'm going to talk about taking time out in a moment, but last week I decided that the thing to do was to, um, I wasn't sitting on my boat, but I was sitting on a chair next to my boat, taking it very, very easy. Ding, ding, email. Taking it very, very easy. And I thought it would work reasonably well with the iPad and some, what are they, AirPods and all the rest of it, but no, it didn't work so well. The audio quality was shit, and I apologize for that. Video quality... Looking back at it, not so bad. I don't know what it is with these AirPods. Every now and then they just seem to be a little bit flaky. Regardless, here's what it is. Let me jump into it and start with a sponsor from this week. Sponsor is familiar. It is Veronis. Veronis is sponsoring my blog this week as they have been many, many times in the past. I've uh, got a very long history with Veronis. One of the companies I used to be able to spend time with in person. It was so nice. We, you know, do stuff in person. Then again, I was just talking about sitting next to my boat in the sunshine. So, adults just did different nice. Veronis, reduce your SAS blast radius. And as I've often said, I think blast radius is a fantastic term. With data-centric security for AWS, G-Drive, Box, Salesforce, Slack, and more. I think I mentioned last week, I think Veronis was there last week too, I mentioned that one thing that they've done a really good job of is actually identifying deviations from behavioral norms and where your assets and things sit. In fact, one of the, the videos I had done with Veronis in the past was around stuff like user behavioral analytics. You know, what is a normal behavior? And then suddenly behavior is not so normal. So even if traditional means of things like malware detection evolve and evade detection, I said detection twice, evade uh, more typical signature-based behaviors. One of the things that's really, really cool is actually looking at what humans do. What is a normal thing that a human does and what is a deviation from that norm? So Veronis, top notch at doing that. Uh, big thanks to those folks for being there again this week. People joining in, g'day Rob uh, from Brisbane Lockdown. I'm going to talk about lockdown in a moment. Rob knows all about this. Mind you, Rob, we've done pretty well, haven't we? I think people other places know a lot more about it than us. Audio seems to get bad when you put your hand up near your ear or face. Did I put my hand up? Audio should be solid. Audio should be solid because I am on the good... Yep, it looks like it's that mic. <laughs> I am on the good mic. Certainly a lot better than last uh, last week. Or maybe it got bad last week. That could have been the one. Craig's in UK... Child is uh, from Victorian lockdown, more lockdown. Brendan's in lockdown. Uh, I don't know, in different lockdowns. We'll get to the lockdown. I am, um, as I mentioned earlier on when I started this video, uh, I was having a little bit of time out for, I've, I've had about a couple of weeks, just trying to, <laughs> trying to not push myself as much. The, the double-edged sword of having a life of independence where you don't have to work for a boss, which I had done for a very, very long time before my joyful, I usually say joyful, joyful life of independence, which I've had for the last six years. Like I don't have, okay, I was going to say I don't have an office to go to. Many of you don't have offices to go to at the moment either, but I don't have a routine to follow, which is nice because I don't have to sort of turn up at places but there's not an end. There's not an end to the day. It's not like I get to five o'clock or whatever arbitrary time it was that I used to finish and I just go, okay, that's it. Or I get to the weekend and go, that's it. I just have time for myself. 
there's just endless emails and accounting things and tax things and cyber things and, and like a lot of it is really really positive and I don't mean to whinge about it but it it just doesn't stop so I literally put the out of office on and went look I'm having some time out it will take a while to reply uh, and I did have a bunch of personal stuff to deal with as well which will make epic material one day if I can ever talk about it holy shit stuff's weird another long story some people know what I'm talking about but I think that will make for a very very uh a very interesting teller one day. It won't be in the book that I'm still working on. I will talk more about the book later on. I just haven't had a had an opportunity to make much progress. Not lately. Now, um, one thing. I do actually have a little list of notes here. One thing for those of you who've watched this before. The camera is in a different position. So I used to have the camera like on an arm. And I'd pull it down in front of the monitor so I could look straight ahead. And the, the, the problem with that is that I always ended up with slightly different camera angles. I couldn't see what was behind me in the front of the screen. So now it is, if I take eye level, eye level is at mid-screen, it's sitting just up on top of the screen. So I'm just curious to hear, for folks either watching it now or if you watch it later on, send me a tweet or something, does this look like you're like looking down the top of my nose or is this angle all right? Now part of the reason I'm playing around with this now is that Part of all the work we've been doing in the house, one of the things that is the next on my list is some stuff in the office. Uh, and I'm going to get the big, wide, ultra-wide screen mounted to the wall rather than on the desk. Uh, it just frees up some desk space, and it also means that if I bump my desk and things, the monitor don't move. I'm also going to get the camera mounted above it as well, and it's going to be probably fixed in position. So the reason I'm playing with all this stuff now is it's like, Am I okay with these positions? So please do let me know. Does this camera angle look okay or is it kind of weird? Because it's not only just for doing casual videos like this, but I actually have to record things that I charge money for. That's <laughs> one of the things I do. So it needs to look good in all conditions. Okay. Uh, now, Rob said uh, last week during the doc, yeah, that was when the audio was shit. And I did listen back to that. Interestingly enough, I've, I've had occasions, and they're right here on my desk, where it's like I'm wearing these Apple AirPod Pro latest gen, whatever the hell they are, and I'll be talking to someone on them as I'm out having a walk, and they go, look, your audio is coming in and out. And it's like, it's not windy, I'm walking straight ahead. Uh, clearly, it's not getting further away from my mouth or anything. So... I think I'm going to investigate what on earth is going on with these. And these are replacements for other ones that didn't work as well. So not, not having a great run with the Apple things. Steve's happy with how the camera looks. Thank you, Steve. Part of um, part of what I'm just deciding on at the moment, I actually have wallpaper to go on the back, which is kind of a dark wallpaper. We've just put a bunch of it in our bedroom, which I'll show people once everything's done. But it looks freaking epic. Uh, once it's really, really done, I'll do a, I'll do some... It, it's, it's like a... What was someone say the other day? So it's, it's like it came out of a Pinterest thing. <laughs> like it looks amazing. But anyway, at the moment, that's going to go on the back. And there'll be some uh, some cool looking sound panels on the back. I'm just figuring out just how I want to do the front. But um, I'll share all that later on. So there are going to be a few little tweaks. There'll be some lighting tweaks as well. One thing about this camera angle, I think it sort of gets a little bit, now it points down a bit, a little bit away from the glare that sometimes comes from those two lights up there. So... Um, ben says, I think the camera angle was slightly better before. It does look a little bit like you're looking up at us. Uh, yes, that's because I'm looking up at you. <laughs> Spot on, Ben. Um, the question is, is that suboptimal? Because I think the only other way to do it, if you want to look straight ahead, is I've got to get, and I'm not opposed to this idea, but I've got some sort of mechanism where I can 
you know, like actually move it down in front of the screen in a more seamless fashion than what I was doing before. Again, not totally against the idea. If anyone can find something <laughs> on eBay or elsewhere, like wall-mounted an arm, maybe a little, I don't know, arms with springs or something, which, which makes it neat. So I've got to keep working on that. Okay, now, other things. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just, actually, I don't know I had this in here. I just, just had a bit of a shit day. Rant about tradies and reliabilities. Now, the Aussies will already know what tradies are, but for everyone else, tradies are tradespeople. And we have had a lot of tradies through here recently. Tradies are uh, plumbers, electricians, painters, builders, people who work on your house. And we've had a lot of tradespeople through doing all sorts of things. We've had tradies here uh, doing a lot of tiling. We've had tradies working on the pool. We've had different tradies painting different things. Tradies doing lights, tradies doing curtains, tradies doing carpets. And here's my rant, and I will say in advance that there are some exceptions, and some of the trade, I don't know if the tradies watch my videos, some of them have been very, very good. But the thing that just over and over and over again drives me absolutely freaking nuts is reliability. Case in point, I'm going to be generic just in case one of them does listen. You'll go, hey, um, when are you going to come and do the thing? And they go, oh, next week. So, All right. I'm a busy guy. When? <laughs> oh, you know, we'll try and get some time. Okay, would that be a Monday or a Tuesday? Oh, hopefully Tuesday. Okay. Is it going to be 9 a.m., uh, 8.30? Like, when is it going to be? Oh, maybe in the morning. So I'm trying to plan my life about around this. And, and the thing that I keep coming back to, and I'm just ranting about this because we've had so many things delayed just literally today, from different tradies doing different things that can't give commitments and then that cascades so that other things get delayed. You imagine if for me or for many of you listening to this, particularly if you're working in this industry, this tech industry will be generic. Imagine if you behaved like that. Imagine if you sort of you said to a customer, yeah, I might turn up sometime next week when I have time. I'll turn up between 8 a.m. And 12 midday, please hang around and make sure you're free to be able to entertain me when I get there. And then, and this is the bit that sounds kind of shitty. Um, <laughs> how do I say this without sounding obnoxious? You sort of go, well, that level of professionalism might explain why you're doing what you're doing and we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, wait, there's just a little bit of that in there. I just pissed at it today because too much shit got delayed when it just didn't need to get delayed. And particularly when you work from home and everything around here is your life and there's constantly people coming in and out. I'm just, it is definitely, definitely beer o'clock here in Australia. Let's just put it that way. Uh, now, Steve says the angle's really good. has a nice feel. You probably need to get on top of that mic a bit more though. If you move off axis a bit off your ear levels fluctuate. Yep, I'm aware of that. Uh, and, and I got animated, I know, <laughs> particularly talking about the tradies. <laughs> he says, they're across the country, I'll give you a... Anyway, don't, don't let me keep going on the tradie. Let me talk about the lockdown thing. I do have more cyber things as well, but I was, there's, a, there's a few people here from Australia, uh, some people from Queensland. If, if you're from other parts of the world... First of all, Australia's really big. <laughs> like, really, really big. It's the same size almost as continental USA, roughly the same size as Europe. Uh, it is massive. There are different things happening in different parts of the country. So in our state here in Queensland, I did this video last week. I think I did it on a Friday. 
Everything was kind of normal, like we had to wear masks. There was a mask mandate, but for the most part, it was pretty normal. It didn't really matter too much. And then we got to Saturday, and they went, that's it, snap lockdown. It was a, no, you know, it was, it, was, it was a snap lockdown as of Saturday at 4 p.m., yeah, because we were going to go out in the boat with some friends on Sunday, and I said, like, okay, well, that's not going to happen anymore. So snap lockdown, 4 p.m., which which was also uh, considered to be the hardest lockdown that we had ever had in Queensland since the beginning of the pandemic. So it meant that, and I'm sure it's like this in most of the rest of the world, there's like four reasons you can go out. It's like medical reasons, shopping, jets, no, not jet skiing, can't go out for jet skiing, uh, medical, shopping, um, uh, a, f- a few other sort of like essential things, exercise within 10 kilometers of your home, this kind of stuff. Also meant the kids suddenly went down into snap lockdown. And it was meant to be until, I think, originally until 4 p.m. Tuesday, Arvo. And we got to Tuesday morning and they went, no, nah, it's going to be till Sunday. So at the moment, we're on a snap lockdown that ends at the end of Sunday. So it suddenly ended up, along with all the tradies in the house who turn up when they're ready, still better, ended up with both the kids at home uh, doing homeschooling. I'm sure many of you have had kids that have had to do this, whether it be in Australia or other parts of the world. We had a period last year, I think for a couple of months, where the kids had to do that. And I've got to say, it's impressive how well these kids just suddenly adapted to homeschooling. So my my son, he is 11. He's in grade six. They have had to have a laptop since the beginning of last year anyway. So they've always carried that around with them. They're really well connected. Uh, our daughter, who's now nine, and I'll talk to her later about her later on because I did the 3D printing thing with her. This was very new for her. Last year, it required a, a heap of support from Charlotte and I just to get her normal everyday mechanics working with school. This year, I was super, super impressed. She took that laptop I gave her, the one I'm going to talk about later on, and she'd sit in her room and they'd fire up Microsoft Teams and they'd just sit there in Teams. And they just follow the calendar in Teams. And I keep poking my head and it's like, do you know what to do next? Is everything working? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Really? It's all cool. And then and I was sort of a little bit sneaky about it because I'm like, are you actually working? You're sitting there playing games or something. It was actually working. And then she'd, she's got like one of those big egg chairs on her balcony with covers and things on it. And she'd sit in there with her laptop with her mates talking backwards and forwards and walking around the house showing her different things. And it was amazingly, amazingly cool. And I was, I was very... Oh, Boyd is maybe the right word of just how well uh, our kids and the other kids I saw there as well just adapted to this sudden online learning. And I think what I found super cool about it is it's like the way that you're working and interacting with people now is really just the same as I do. And I love the fact that you're learning these things that are now like technological imperatives for living not just in, in, in the modern era, but of course in the COVID era. So the fact that she can use things like Teams very comfortably and, and be used to video and audio and all the rest of it, super, super cool. I was very impressed with that. We'll see how long it goes for. <laughs> okay, Sonia's here. So uh, can we add couriers that list as well? Uh, so uh, Sonia, jet skis, exercise. So last year, Sonia, apparently, remember, so Sonia's Brisbane-based. Sonia's a very good friend of mine from Microsoft. Um Remember last year when we had lockdown, you could go fishing, like fishing was okay. So there'd be all these people suddenly putting fishing rods on their jet skis. And I'll admit I thought about it. And then I went, it's, a, it's, it's not really in the spirit of the whole thing. Um, 
Plus, when you look at where we both live, and I saw a photo of you from you today, very, very nice, clear blue water, which uh, I suspect was a swimming pool or something. Our swimming pool doesn't have water in it at the moment because of tradies. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing. But it's like, we're in such a nice place anyway. Like, I don't think we actually need to kind of break the rules. Stratus is in Greater Sydney. He's been locked down for over a month. Since I'm divorced, I don't see my kids. Oh, wow, that's really rough. Um, so as, as many know, I'm also divorced and our kids come and go each week. So I literally just dropped them off at their mums. But that's that I actually, I actually checked. It's just within 10K. Now, I don't think that well, like we didn't exercise at distance. I did drive them. But um, I have heard of other friends who've uh, got family that is in like another state so you know maybe the kids come and go and and to, to be clear another state can literally be a five minute driveway it's only half an hour this way and we're in another state but that would be really really rough so i'm, I'm sorry to hear that mate that's that's a very difficult situation uh let me move on talk about something a little bit more on usually on topic for me coin hive and pwned passwords now i've been eagerly pulling stats of these things for quite some time and in fact i'll do this the other way around because i've got the figures here so pwned passwords i've been watching for when i get to the one billion queries a month i'm really somewhat infatuated on getting to a billion because it just seems like a really nice round number and um it's actually taking a lot longer than I thought because it was ramping up really, really quickly. Now it's just a very, very slow, gradual increase. And I thought I would have hit a billion several months ago. I am, as of today, at 967 million and 30,000. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's still good. It's still good. But we're not quite at the billion yet. And at this rate, it could be many, many months more. But it could also just take one large asset, one large online service to come on board and decide to use it and just really kind of hammer it. I only need, if you look at it this way, I only need like another 3% increase to get to the 1 billion a month, which would be really cool. It'll, it'll happen. So that's that one. Now, CoinHive. CoinHive is the one that I really want to see going down. So the whole idea of CoinHive is this is where the crypto miners were, right? So this was a crypto miner service that... Uh, people would end up with on their websites either by design because they were trying to replace ads but i feel that that was kind of a bit of a dicky thing to do or they would end up with uh the crypto miner there because someone had either compromised their site or they'd compromised a downstream dependency and then put the crypto miner on that dependency and then it bubbles up onto their site so i've just found that it's a very very long tail to get rid of like a so to be to be clear, like every single website that has CoinHive on it is getting my model pop-up saying, hey, you probably don't want to be running CoinHive on this site. Now, I've had 990,000 unique visitors in the last month, and I'm just flatlining. Like I look at it one month ago, and it's, it's pretty much like 47,000-something unique visitors a day to this site that's just serving a model and not doing... Do I need to get more aggressive? Like, do I need to make, interested in audience feedback here, do I need to make the model more assertive? Does it need to do more? Does it need to maybe block the site so you can't, you, and I know that this is getting quite aggressive here, but is it a non-dismissible model? Uh, does it need to show something more graphic? I don't know. Like, how do I, how do I remove this tail? 
I guess what might be interesting also is to look at where this is being embedded. You know, is it just largely the same three websites that keep embedding the same thing, um, and then that's that's a more achievable goal, or is it you know ten thousand little websites with very sporadic visitors? I don't know. We'll think about it. Think if anyone has any great ideas, but I do feel that this alone is not sufficient at the moment. Stuart says, make the site do the Harlem Shake, or is that too old school? <sighs> so there's a great Harlem Shake script you can get. I use it in a lot of my workshops to demonstrate uh, the value proposition of content security policies. And it's a bit of JavaScript you run in the console, and it will embed some, uh, some motion. In fact, I can tell you what it is. I've got the URL for it. I think it is tree.hn. Uh, um, Let me see if this URL is right. And if this URL is right, I'm going to drop it into the chat window here. And you can all go and play this yourself. Uh, or is it that? Oh, here we go. Here we go. All right. So... I'll get the raw version just to make it super, super easy on everyone. Uh, yeah, here's the URL. Oh, is that me? No. Yep, that'll do. Okay, so I'm going to drop this into the YouTube chat window. If you grab this script and you drop this in the console of your browser on any website that doesn't have a content security policy, and I'll explain why that matters in a moment. But if you go to your bank, for example, or your corporate website, it will almost certainly load some CSS and an MP3 file, and it will start, start, start shaking the screen and playing the audio. Uh, for those of you listening to this later on, I've got a, a short URL for it, troy.hn forward slash Harlem Shake script, all one word. We'll do the same thing. And that the value proposition for this and the reason why I use it. And let me just check here. Actually, let's check if the whole thing works. I'll actually do it on the Pastebin site. If I go to the console and I paste it and I run it, um, I've got to take out that bit and just do the script and not all the intro stuff. Let's just clear all that and try again. Yep. There you go. Some of you probably heard that. It works. <laughs> so the, the reason I show this in workshops is because this, this is effectively self-XSS, where you're running this in the console yourself against yourself, but it is pulling in external content. One type is media, which is, of course, the MP3, and one type is style, which is a CSS file. And when you have a content security policy, you cannot pull in content from listers, listers, uh, locations that you have not allowed. So when you go and try this on Have I Been Pwned? So I know I'm going completely off topic here, but since it was raised... Uh, if you would like to see the value proposition of a content security policy, try using that script on your bank or corporate website or something, and then go to Have I Been Pwned and look at the error messages. And also look at the network tab, and you'll see that for every violation of the policy, there is a report which is sent to a report URI of my choosing, which happens to be the report URI service that's got my run. Everyone get that? Good. <laughs> Looking at the comments here... Um, all right, first of all, Michelangelo says, uh, inform, but do not instruct, or obstruct, sorry. I've been trying that. It's not working so great lately. I think we need to level up a little bit. Joel says, I've got to wear two masks. One trying to stay uh, live and one for sleep apnea. Crikey. So you've got it during the day and during the night as well. Mate, that's tough. Ugh. 
Steve, which workshop? Is there a list of workshops and courses you offer, have offered across various platforms? It's the Hack Yourself First workshop. If you go to the workshop link in the top of my website, you'll see it. I run a lot of those. Of course, these days they're all remote as well, but I, I don't run them as public events. They're all private. So if your company would like to get me in, in <laughs> to do Hack Yourself First, reach out. Burton says, turn the website bright red color with the message why. I just feel that there's more opportunity here. I could invert all the images. Okay, that's minor. I want to see the reaction though. I'll think about this. I'll think about it. Brennan, why not just make the dialogue undismissible while having the site in the background do barrel rolls? Well, I, I am thinking about the undismissible approach. I am. Sonia says, yeah, I've heard stories about running random scripts off the internet. <laughs> Thanks. Well, fortunately, it's a very short script and you can read it if you're so inclined to see that's okay. Tim says, we'd love to hear your uh, take on biohacking and human tech interfaces sometime, NFC implants and such. Scott Helm would be good on this, a uh, good one on this. So Scott does have a uh, an implant, a, what do you call it, like a subdermal biometric implant, which he got in Vegas some time ago. But then again, I think people get a lot of things in Vegas they later regret. So I'm not sure if that falls into that category or not. Um, cool idea but you know honestly the thing that i'm finding seems to be much better at doing that at the moment is, is the apple watch uh i got my second covid shot the other day i have like the thing on the watch i didn't i won't show you what it looks like because i've got my birthday on as well but i literally have in my wallet now the uh the the, the covid declaration passport whatever it is uh, obviously paying for things with credit card on the watch uh i think that's where a lot of the value proposition is now i find it hard to think of times where i'd use something that was biometrically implanted that is in my own best interest and it's not just like a government tracking thing <laughs> mind you i've got the covid shot no I kid oh geez get back onto those guys in a moment too um yeah so your take on biohacking i find it fascinating i guess i'm just yet to see where the the value proposition is particularly in an era where we have supercomputers on our wrists. Actually, I won't get into the, into the whole cove. Don't read the comment section. Jeez, when, when we look at the announcements coming through from our government, I'm sure Sonia and other folks sending a lot of these, uh, and you get like Queensland health notices about here are things to try and help you not die and help other people not die, and you just read the comments below them. And then some people we know, I was getting a coffee uh, last week. So it was when I had workshops and I was starting at 3.30 each morning. So I get up at 3.30, Charlotte gets up too, so that we're on the same body clock and I don't feel too lonely. She's fantastic. <laughs> and in the first break, we go out and get coffee from a coffee shop we love. And the bloke at the coffee shop we're talking to and it's like, hey, we're going to go and get our second COVID shot. Because it was just last week. It was, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday last week. And he's like, oh... I don't believe in vaccines. And I just see Charlotte going, shut up, Troy, don't say anything. The coffee here is really good. Don't fuck it up. And I, it was just the most irrational bullshit. And I, I, I kind of wonder, how do people get to this point? Very, very hard to, hard to say. I'm sure everyone's just find it so infuriating at the moment that, uh, that we have people like this that walk amongst us. Anyway, they probably think I'm a government shill. Moving on. Steve says, I'd love to get an implant that had multifunction NFC RFID stuff. I prefer not to wear a smartwatch. Uh, each their own on that. Um, 
I I kind of like having a bunch of other stuff on my smartwatch as well. I mean, the thing that's been really good for me, particularly since the uh, the, the whole lockdown thing, has been having things like my uh, my exercise on here, which is which is almost okay today. <laughs> today has been a bit of a quieter day, but yeah, having access to things like that, I find very useful. Tim says, I find the security side of having an implant is a huge pro. Having the keys to my house on a watch, for instance, is much more worrying. The thing is, Tim, uh, now, I first of all, I don't have the keys to the house on the watch. I, I would actually like to insofar as um, I, I would love to be able to get rid of keys and I'd love to be able to get rid of wallet. And, and they're the two things I still have to carry with me. Now, I have two cars that need keys. I'm going to need to get to new versions of cars that don't need the physical keys anymore. So that would be helpful there. Uh, the only thing I really need my wallet for is our driver's licenses are still uh, physical cards here in the state. We are trialing digital ones. It will happen. It's just a matter of time. I'd love to be able to get rid of that. But also things like my Medicare card. So uh, our healthcare system needs that. Uh, if, if I turn up to a, a doctor or I was at the dentist the other day, it's like, hey, where's your um, uh, your private health insurance card? You've got to have that. So I'd love to be able to get those digitized. They seem to be easily solvable problems. I think this is a fun discussion if, if we talk about Tim's thing here about having the keys to my house on your watch. So a couple of things to think about off the top of my head. Number one is that the watch has to be unlocked to work. So if someone else takes my watch from somewhere, it's not the same as taking my key. It would be like if my key then needed a security code in order to make it work. So the, the, the first thing is, is that it shouldn't just work on its own. I mean, this is why things like you, you can't use your watch like a credit card. You've got to be able to unlock the watch first. This is what makes it, you know, if you were to leave your credit card and your watch on a bar somewhere, the credit card they could go and use immediately, might need a pin depending on the purchase. The watch you couldn't. The other thing that I think is much more interesting is more sort of the, the, the social side of it, which is let's say someone has your watch and they have it unlocked, which for all intents and purposes is pretty much the same as someone getting your key. It's one thing to get your key. It's another thing to then go and break into your house. Like there is a level of friction there, which is that you do have to be a criminal with that intent in the first place. Uh, what are you mitigating controls then? Having an alarm system. So I have an alarm system. Opening the door is one thing. Actually being able to be in the house without literally alarms going off and someone coming out and uh, inspecting the property because there's someone trying to break in, that's quite another. So I, I suggest that it is a bit more nuanced than just what was presented there. I get your point. I think there's a little bit more to it though. I'm getting a warning here. YouTube is not receiving enough video to maintain smooth streaming. As such, viewers will experience buffering. So apologies if you're experiencing buffering. I don't know why. It's nothing that I have any control over right at the moment. But no one's commenting on it, so I'll persevere. Stephen, just realized for the first time ever I've got a live stream clash, Troy versus Phillip Island Penguins. Oh, what? How's that a competition? Come on. Oh, the penguins are kind of cute. It's actually one of the things on my list to do when we're talking about where are other places in Australia we're going to see that the kids haven't seen before and Charlotte hasn't seen before? Uh, Phillip Island Penguins is there on the list. If you're from overseas and you don't know what that is, Google Phillip Island Penguins. They're very cute. Brandon says, what about a brain interface? Interface with the internet to the body clock via NTP. I can't see anything going wrong with any of that. Uh, Martin, vaccines in general or just the CV-19 ones? I, I, I think it's just the blanket statements. Um, 
I think it's both. Like, is it okay to be like anti-vaxxer for one and not for the other? It, and yes, I know there are some people that have autism and there are some people that have low immune systems or other things that might clash with the vaccines. So this is not about that. It was more about the statement from the bloke at the coffee shop the other day, which was literally, I don't believe in vaccines. It's like, mate, you make a very nice latte. Don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. But that's pretty much where your level of expertise ends, at least as it relates to vaccines and healthcare and everything else, which is also where my level of expertise ends, which is why you look to scientific consensus. It's the same as bloody global warming. Let's not get going down that path any further than we already are. Steve loves mechanical watches. Uh, yep, totally understand that. Uh, there's looking at the Apple Watch on my hand is a very different experience to looking at uh, if you see someone with a nice Rolex or something. I, I totally appreciate the the uh, the aesthetic argument for it. <laughs> Vaccines cause 5G. Let's not even get into that. Uh, what else is going on here? Uh, uh-huh. So Brendan says, when doing some research on digital licenses, I found New South Wales was the only state uh, with them rolled out. Now, I I, uh, was aware of New South Wales rolling them out. When I looked at Queensland recently, I think they were doing a trial in Harvey Bay, which is is sort of an odd regional location to do it. Not unusual, though, to do trials of things like this in uh, outside of metro areas. Case in point, this is now, I'm going to date myself, 21 years ago. I was working for a company in Sydney building uh, interactive TV interfaces. So I was was writing a lot of JavaScript and HTML, building interactive TV apps. Uh, And this company later went bankrupt. Not sure how much is related to my JavaScript, but let's just say there are other mitigating circumstances as well. But they wanted to do a trial of interactive TV, and we decided to do it in Orange, which is very regional New South Wales. So we're literally going out to Orange, installing set-top boxes in people's homes that could dial into the internet and load my Pizza Hut ordering <laughs> system. Pizza Hut was an early early adopter to, uh, to be on our interactive TV beta. Brandon, what about embedding a fingerprint scanner into the display for watch unlock? We, we have seen some phones that have, have done that, haven't we, where the, the, the display can be a fingerprint reader. I think all of these biometric controls have various cases where they fall apart of course the one that we're seeing at the moment for many people is that face id doesn't work real well when you've got a mask on so you can go into the setting which says look if you're wearing the apple watch it will unlock much easier even though i can't see your face uh i have been using that lately uh, it does seem to unlock a little bit too readily for comfort zone the fingerprint readers Things like the fingerprint reader on my Lenovo laptop, or I've got an external one here from Verify for my PC. If I've been in the swimming pool for too long, it doesn't work particularly well. So there are certainly uh, certainly limiting factors on both of those. So if I go snowboarding, which looks like it's probably not going to happen this time, not this month, not in New South Wales, and you've got gloves on, neither work real well because you've got like gloves and a helmet on. But then again, you also can't really use your fingers to unlock with a pin either. So all of these things still need fallback positions too. And this is one of the interesting discussions about auth. It's like, hey, we're going passwordless because you can just look at your phone and unlock it, except for the times it doesn't work and you need to fall back to memorize secrets, i.e. a pin. Martin says, driving license in UK, moving digital. Uh, it's, yep, good stuff. That's all happening. Of course, the next thing that people 
raise with that is that I don't want to hand my unlocked phone to a police officer. Certainly with Apple, you don't have to because, I mean, every time every time I used to fly <laughs> domestically, I could go and get like my Qantas boarding pass from my wallet without actually having to unlock the phone as well. So there's that. And then I think there's a whole other discussion about the circumstances which would actually cause you to be concerned about handing an unlocked phone to a police officer. Gets very controversial. Anyway. Uh, Tim says, thanks for sharing. Great to hear thoughts. Didn't expect to get <laughs> sold on a smartwatch today. I didn't think to be selling anyone on a smartwatch either. Um, no buffering. Okay, that's good to know. No buffering. All right, YouTube, false positive. Um, Michelangelo says, I find house keys almost once set each month on the street here. But do you then go and break into the house? That's that's the question. Uh, I really like the idea of a digital door lock for many reasons. Now, we know the reasons why I'd be worried about it, but the, the reasons I really like the idea uh, are a combination of not having to carry my keys with me, which would be very nice. Also, being able to remotely grant people access. Uh, let's say it was the neighbours and a package had been delivered and they're like, hey, mate, just come and drop it inside. Now, they could just put it inside the garage door as well. Or maybe my parents come and visit and they get here a bit early. Now, I could remotely unlock, but then again, I could also give them their own digital key and they could let themselves in. So I think there are some really, really good value propositions and there are definitely risks, but you end up in this thing where it's like, well, all of this is a trade-off, right? You're just just balancing upsides and downsides and everyone's got to find their own comfortable middle ground with it. Mike Langer says, so keys are lost regularly. Generally, people are not security orientated, it seems. I also would suggest, without being an expert in this area, but I would suggest that people that want to break into your house will find many other ways to break into your house without necessarily needing keys. Tim says, my favorite part of electronic door locks is scheduling events, etc. I've been deep into open source home automation for years. Okay, interesting. Sonia, a friend had an Airbnb with a digital lock and he would remotely change the pin for each guest booking. Perfect example, because if you give guests a physical lock, there's always the concern, have they made a copy of the keys? Stuart says, get the Unify Ferry to send you their door access products. I, I have actually um, considered speaking to my own dedicated Unify Ferry about this. I do have a Unify Ferry, Ubiquity Ferry, uh, same thing. It does seem to be very corporately orientated, though. Now, whilst we're in this space, one of the things I had on my list here was Shelley's MQTT. So last week, I was asking people about the Shelley um, or the MQTT discovery script for Home Assistant. Now, for those of you for whom this is a foreign concept, MQTT is a message queuing technology. It is used a lot within IoT things for all the same reasons that you use message queues in other software products, um, primarily because we can sort of abstract these two different things that need to talk to each other. So for example, in the case of Shelley's, the little IoT relays that sit behind switches, you've got them, you've got Home Assistant. Now, if Home Assistant can't at that point in time see the Shelly and it can't make an HTTP request, message queues are great because they can sit there and they can buffer and you can do the whole pub sub and have different things subscribed to them. They're wonderful. The challenge then is how do you integrate the two together? And a lot of MQTT IoT products can effectively broadcast themselves to something like Home Assistant. Now, the Shelleys don't do that, 
but there is a script which you can use which identifies all the Shelleys and then onto the message queue broadcasts all their presence and then in Home Assistant you can add them all as different devices and a, a device in Home Assistant is something like a Shelly which then has entities on it. One of the entities is a relay, turn it on or off. If you've got a dimmer, uh, there is an entity which allows you to increase or decrease the brightness. And I really wanted to get this working so that I could just have every Shelly I have in the house, and I think I've got about 50 of them in the house now. I really just wanted to have all of those communicating via message queues. I have now done that. (laughs) It now works. And I'm extraordinarily happy about this because it means all of the new stuff that I've just put in the ensuite and the master bedroom, all of the dimmers and everything else is just bam, it's just working seamlessly. So I'm super happy about that. I've got some scenes set up. I've got a scene for when it's uh, when it's sunset. It turns on certain lights at certain dim levels. I've got another scene for if I want to have a bath and it changes lights in different areas. I've got another scene for when we retire. To the which basically means when you're done downstairs and you want to go up to bed and you just want to sit there and read or something like that, uh, it turns off different lights and changes uh, dim levels and things like that. So that all works beautifully now. The remaining thorn in my IoT side is the number of different lights I've got that are speaking over HTTP and it's just flooding the network with traffic and too many things are just inaccessible when I need them to be accessible. I think that my, and I appreciate all the Shelleys are not helping, but I think my way out of that hole may well still be just to replace a bunch of the the IP-based lights with Zigbee-based lights. So that might be something on the cards later on. A poor man's approach to this, which I think I'm going to try first, is at the moment, if I want to turn on, if I want to digitally turn on the lights, let's say in the carport, uh, the lights in the carport are all IP based. They always have power to them. They are always on the network unless there's too much traffic and they're dropping off. And then when I turn them on, all I'm doing is for each one of those lights, I'm saying, hey, turn the light on. So it's literally just saying, Speaking to the light, connect to the network, turn yourself on. Now, what I'm tempted to do is instead power them down. So the Shelly will actually kill power to the circuit. So I've then got around my carport, I've probably got a dozen different IoT lights talking over IP. Kill power to the Shelly, the lights drop off. They're no longer accessible. If I go into Home Assistant, it will say, hey, there's all these things I can't communicate to. But the joy of that is that First of all, I've just taken a lot of stuff off the network. Second of all, when I want to turn them on, because it's just the power to the Shelly being turned on, everything will come on instantaneously. Same when I want to turn them off. The two downsides I can think of with this is that number one is that a lot of stuff is going to be inaccessible in the dashboard. It'll just show, hey, all these lights have dropped off. Number two is that if I do want to, say, change the colors on the lights, or if I want to change the brightness on the lights, I will only be able to do that once the lights literally boot up and join the network, which I think is going to be okay because I don't normally like, hey, turn on all the outdoor lights and then immediately change the colors. They normally come on on a sunset scene and then I'm looking at it going, hey, it'd be fun to be in party mode today or something like that. So I think I'm going to try that first because it just feels like the path of least resistance. So that's my Shelley's and MQTT story. Let me have a look at the comments here. Uh... Joel, I found a provider uh, power keys in a park once. I found a... I don't know if it was a Masters. All right, power keys. Tim says, have you played Zigbee? USB Zigbee dongles have gotten very cheap. Yes, I have. So in my five-part 
IoT blog series, one of the parts was all about IP-based and ZigBee-based. Uh, and as you've then said in the next comment, ZigBee mesh network concept still gets me hot and bothered. No, it gets hot and bothered. It's been very good for me. I literally just plugged back in five of the outdoor Philips Hue Lily XL lights I've got. Uh, they were unplugged while there's some painting and so on going on. Uh, so now I now have five more ZigBee-based lights that are part of a ZigBee mesh network that will expand my ZigBee network to anything else that can see them. Does that mesh work? Mesh network. So I've had good success with ZigBee and I'd like to use a lot more of it. MogTalk, Apple is known for their privacy. The news today is concerning that they intend to look for hashed inappropriate images on iCloud and they can read our encrypted messages. This is a backward step. Um, I haven't seen that news, but we, we have certainly seen instances of, particularly for things like child exploitation material, we've seen instances where images will have hash representations of them. So you're not actually storing the images themselves, but you're storing representation. And if content is found that matches those, then the alarms can go off and the cops can come and whatever else happens afterwards. I, I think as a principle, when first of all, when we're talking about cutting down on child exploitation material, very, very good initiative. I think we'd all agree with that. Very, very good intention. Second of all, if it can be done by not having to actually maintain copies of the material, but rather maintain, I was going to say useless representations. They're not useless because we can match other images to them, but maintain representations that can never be seen in all their horrific originality, uh, I think is a really good idea. Now, can we do that whilst maintaining privacy? And then how much do we care about the privacy of people who may have this imagery? And I know that that's a really, really slippery slope there because there's always the potential for there to be... Because sooner or later, what's going to happen is someone's going to have a photo of... Like my parents took of me when I'm like, you know, one year old and I'm in the bathtub or something, and then suddenly you get caught up in this whole cycle. I think to your point, though, Apple is known for their stance on privacy. They're really carving out a niche on privacy. So I'd be really interested to see how they do that without false positives beyond an acceptable rate uh, and also whilst maintaining that stake they're putting in the ground around privacy. Stephen says, have you had a problem with Shelley's being unavailable? I've had to tweak my automations to check state changes, but not if... It's too from unavailable. Rarely, and here's the exceptions. I've got one that's unavailable now, which is the fan in my daughter's bathroom. I'm not sure why. I think a power cycle will bring it back. But that's exceptional to, to have that happen. The more common problem I've had is because I've had so much broadcast traffic noise on my access points, that I have been frequently unable from wireless devices to access the Shelleys. From my PC here, wired, where it hasn't tried to pull ARP data from access points, which I think is telling in terms of where the issue is, it's been pretty solid. But that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to use the message queue, because I don't want to have a situation where I've got devices trying to hit other devices over HTTP if possible. I think the idea of a message queue is a lot more resiliency there. Uh, comments about slippery slopes, so on and so forth. Let me talk about the last thing, because then I think it is beer o'clock here in the Gold Coast. 3D printing. So, there's a blog post of the week. I finally got around 
in part due to actually having her around all week and her not going to school, I finally got around to writing the blog post on kids 3D printing and I used Al and I used Lenovo Yoga that I'd given her uh, as a good test case for this as well. So the, uh, I guess the blog post is pretty self-explanatory, but in a nutshell, as part of the Lenovo Insiders program, they recently sent me a Yoga 7i, which is a very, very nice machine. It's yoga because it kind of folds back. So if, if your laptop looks like this, it can fold all the way back and you can stand up like a tent. You can use it like a tablet. It's touchscreen. It's 4K screen. It's fingerprint reader. It's like all the good stuff and beautifully made. So I wanted to give her that. I've got enough computers at the moment. In the same way I'd given my son two yogas on various occasions now because I think the kids having access to the machines is, is a wonderful opportunity and, and I'm in a, a position via this program to do that. So I gave that to Al and I really wanted to, to show what it was like being able to do 3D modeling with a pinch and zoom, being able to rotate things in space with your finger on it rather than using a pointing device like a mouse uh, and also using the pen. So there's a little pen with it as well. And when you see her in the video, which I put in the blog post, it just looks so intuitive, like using the machine in that fashion. So <clears throat> keeping in mind, my journey to 3D printing is relatively new. And I just realized I've been fiddling the whole time with the thing that we actually printed here, my little Troy name tag. I really only started on this journey back in Feb was when I got the printer. But it has been so much fun to do this with the kids and it has been such a great educational experience and even today I was watching Ari who's 11 show his mates when he's on teams doing his homeschooling bringing in like a big stash of 3d printed stuff and showing them all and I was watching the other kids on there going wow that's amazing and apparently everything that we have ever printed has now been ordered by every other child in his class <laughs> that when he comes back here in a week he has to try and print so there is massive excitement about it. I was going to say massive novelty factor, but novelty factor sort of implies that it wears off and it just hasn't worn off with the kids. I mean, we're like six months into this and they still get so much excitement about the, the printing and we keep finding more stuff. Uh, I've, I've mentioned in the blog post things like Thingiverse. Thingiverse has a heap of downloadable prints. Prusa has a 3D catalog on their website. There's a website called Fab360 which has all these amazing print in place and then fold together and join together models that just look absolutely out of this world. And a bunch of those you pay a few bucks for, but hey, worth it, you know, like there's a lot of effort gone into these things. So for kids as well, they have to get their head around a whole bunch of concepts like X and Y and Z axes, you know, the concept of not just having a two dimensional shape, but actually having this third dimension and then being able to like rotate this dimension in space when we slice the models up so the way all this works i wouldn't have known what this was six months ago but the way it works is, is you will create a model this is usually a .stl file this is a 3d model you might print it you might put another 3d software do something else but you then take it into slicing software like prusa slicer which then creates a representation of the model that can be sent to the printer and that will have everything from when there's solid bits in the middle do you print them solid or do you have like an infill? So if you wanted to print a solid square, you wouldn't just print it out of a solid block of plastic. You might have, uh, say, 15% infill and there's different patterns for the infill. 
You might want the nozzle of the printer to be at different temperatures or go at different speeds. You might want supports because some stuff hangs over and you've got to build supports so it doesn't just fall into space. So all of this happens in the slicing software uh, and then we use a, a product called Octoprint. And oh, I've got to tell you this tweet. I was so happy to see this. So Octoprint is free open source software that you can use to control your printer. It normally runs on a Raspberry Pi, which is what we have. So it's, uh, it's sitting there on a Raspberry Pi just next to the printer and it's got a web interface so we can go to it via, via IP address or host name and then see how your print's going. And then you can have a big catalog on the SD card of all your prints and you just fire them back into Octoprint every time you want to print a new copy of it. So I got a, a really cool tweet here from Gina and then I can't pronounce her last name because it's got letters that we don't have in English, but she seems to be German. Yes, <laughs> so Gina in Germany and she's, uh, she's quote tweeted my tweet here about launching it. She says, launch the blog post. Being able to work full time on your own project, 100% community funded is already pretty darn amazing. Seeing the daughter of one of your personal heroes, that's nice, Gina, explain how to use Octoprint 3D, priceless. Troy just made my day with this post uh, and the included clips. And uh, I, I must do something I've wanted to do for, or, or keep thinking I should do for quite a while. Gina works on this full-time herself and it's free and it's community funded and it's donations. So I'm going to go give Gina some money because this is well and truly deserved. Um, and you should do the same if you use Octoprint. So I'll stop there and read the comments. But seriously, the 3D printing for your kids is just honestly the, the best educational thing I've ever done. Uh, and I cannot speak highly enough of it. All right, I'm just going to jump straight into 3D things here. We've done the Shelleys. I'm over the Shelleys. Um, Stephen, my daughter uh, got, got my daughter to watch your 3D printing. Safe to say you pushed me over the edge and I'm going to have to get one now. You should have a referral code. So that the printer that I've recommended here as well is, is called a Prusa. And Prusa is made in the Czech Republic. And it's just a, a really nice story about Joseph Prusa, the guy who created the, the company and the really the hard yards he's had to go through to make this thing and refine it. And it is such a community-centric company as well. They're like our people, <laughs> you know. So they've done a really, really fantastic job. Uh, so I don't want anything from them referral I, I mean I, I want lots of things from them don't get me wrong but just go and buy Prusa because they're really good I've also suggested in there to to do what my mate talked me into doing now granted we were drinking a lot of wine when when he talked me into this but it was a good decision which is that you can buy a Prusa pre-assembled or for $250 less, and this is not about the money because it's the worst ROI you'll ever have, but for $250 less, you can get one that is not assembled. And then you build the whole thing yourself following the instructions. And this is what we did. And this was really, really valuable because I learned so much about how the whole thing is put together that when I did later have various little problems, none of any note, I was much more comfortable undoing screws and pulling things apart than what I would have been otherwise. Uh, so buy the build-it-yourself Prusa. I had no problems at all through the build process. Really great instructions. Martin says, Vid was excellent. She got the CAD down really well. I was extraordinarily impressed at how well she did on that video. And she's normally camera shy. But in this case, I was like, you got a really nice laptop out of this. Like, you, you're going to help me do this. And I tried to appeal to her sense of, of the greater good. And I said, look... 
this is a fantastic thing to do, right? There's a really, really good thing. Like kids love this. If, if you can do this and other people can see this as well. So yeah, like Stephen's daughter, like if, if she sees this as well and then she goes out and she gets involved in this, you've helped someone else do something that's really cool. And, and that seemed to resonate with her. And, and I was, put it this way, I really didn't coach her on, on any of the things we said there. Like beforehand, before I press the record button, I'd be like, okay, so just talk about how you manipulate the object or something like that, or how you put it into Octoprint. And then she just went. There were no double takes, put it that way. Uh, Tony. What's the battery life on the yoga with that screen? I have found the battery life on the yogas I've had seven-ish hours. Of course, it depends what you're doing. depends if you put it into power-saving mode to begin with. But I've found them really, really long. Uh, and I've written a few things on yogas before as well. So that has been consistently my experience. Sony says 3D experiences will help them when they're making VR games in Unity year 10 at school. I'm sure they would too, because they do help you sort of wrap your head around that whole that whole kind of objects in space kind of piece. And I just noticed also on my desk, so that there have been a limited number of occasions where I have actually used the printer for something useful other than teaching kids stuff. Um, I've got grommets. These are printed grommets now if you're not familiar with the term grommet you know how well a grommet is a broader term but these are the sort of cable tidy grommets for um for passing cables through a desk so you'll have a desk and you want to put some cables through it you don't just drill a hole because you have rough edges you normally have a grommet which looks somewhat like what i'm showing you here and we got a a new shelf put in our bedroom as part of our our work on the house and I wanted to have a very narrow diameter grommet. I wanted to have a, around about a 25 mil grommet because I only wanted it large enough to feed the cables through and not have some fat thing like you see in an office. And then the tradies were like, oh, look, we don't have any of these. You know, maybe you can get them on eBay or something. And I was like, I can do better than that. So I went to Thingiverse and I found a whole bunch of grommets and I just printed out three different diameters. And, and here they are. And the, and the cool thing is that these printed in two parts. This one has a cap like that, so I can pop the cap in and it's just like you'd expect from a normal grommet i ended up using the smaller diameter one that i printed and just leaving the cap off so this now sits in our desk in our beautifully designed bedroom with uh with some cables from a sonos amplifier going through the back so you can actually use the 3d printer for useful stuff other than just printing things like octopuses with dangly legs Okay, folks, I've been going for about an hour, so I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, thanks very much for watching, for all the feedback today. I hope you found that, that interesting. I'm glad this camera angle seems to work well too. Uh, and there'll be a lot more happening in this office, uh, hopefully over the coming weeks, that will um, should improve things even more. Thanks for watching. See you later, everyone.